What keeps you up at night? What keeps you awake or what wakes you up? I'll tell you what it did for me since I've been a kid. Scary movies. It's somewhere around kindergarten. I somehow figured out that the original Dracula movie was going to be on TV in black and white. Bella Lugosi, I think. Um, spooky. Super. Kindergarten kids shouldn't be watching it. Before you question my parents' parenting skills, they didn't know. Somehow I, I sneaked downstairs into our family room, turned the TV on, the movie comes on in black and white, scariest thing I've ever seen at that point in my life. And my parents may not have known that I did this, they definitely knew it that night because I wouldn't sleep in my own bedroom because Dracula was coming through my window to suck my blood. <laughs> Fast forward a couple of years, I mean, I'm at my friend's house spending the night somewhere fifth, sixth, seventh grade. We're manly men. We can handle Night of the Living Dead on TV. We couldn't handle it. His dad found us the next morning underneath the bottom bunk of his bunk bed in our sleeping bags, hiding. <laughs> Fast forward a few more years, one of my favorite movies or shows on TV is The Walking Dead. You might have heard of it. Anybody watch that? Yeah, a few years ago, I went backpacking on the Appalachian Trail, a nice little trip in northern Georgia, and I was in my tent at night when my brain decided to remind me that The Walking Dead takes place in northern Georgia. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, brain. You could have kept that one to yourself. <laughs> I couldn't sleep that night. I just, every noise was a walker coming to get me. <laughs> and what keeps you awake at night? There's so many things. In my experience, nothing makes a person lose sleep quite like knowing that there are people who are counting on you. You know what that feels like? There's a guy in the Bible who actually wrote a good chunk of the Bible. His name is Paul. He was a Christian leader, a church planter, apostle. A lot of what we have in the New Testament are letters that he wrote to churches that he planted or to Christians that he knew. And there's this verse where he, it's in 2 Corinthians if you want to find it actually. This is a letter that he wrote to a church that he helped start. He knew a lot of people there. He'd helped lead a lot of these people to Christ. And he was doing some teaching with them in this letter in 2 Corinthians. He goes through this section. He's reminding them of all the things that he went through as a church planter and as a preaching Jesus. And it was a very dangerous life and all these things he experienced. And then if you were to go down to verse 27 of chapter 11, he just he keeps on going. He says, look, I have worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. He knows what that's like. I've been hungry and thirsty, have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. It kept Paul, or it kept Paul awake at night just to think about all these people who had come to know Jesus and are they okay? Are they staying faithful to Jesus? Are they enduring persecution because they followed Jesus? And he knew what it was like to, to go through all these difficulties and to lose sleep about the people he cared about. Maybe you know what that's like. I'll tell you who knows something, something about that is parents. Any parents in the room or grandparents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You can lose sleep, you know, over your kids and what they're going through. Nothing will make you lose sleep, quite like knowing people are counting on you. Family, my gosh. And it doesn't even start once the kids are born. Doesn't it start before they're born? You have all the prenatal visits, and you're wondering, are they healthy? Are they okay? And the, you know, ooh, this doesn't look good, and the doctor looks a little concerned. Should I be concerned? And it just, you don't know. And then, and then once they're born, it doesn't get any easier because some kids decide that the daytime is a great time to sleep, and the nighttime's the time to be awake and play. And then... Every parent can vouch for this. Do you not think, okay, they've been quiet too long. Maybe I should go check and make sure they're still breathing. But then there's the tension of if I go in and check on them, what if I wake them up? So there's just that. And then as they get older, you just lay awake thinking, 
I'm looking at the news, and I'm wondering, like, what kind of a world have I brought my little man into? What kind of a world is my princess walking out into? And I'm going to say this, and I'm not pandering to the children and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and the college kids in the room, but I really do think that you have it harder than my generation and those before. And I really mean that. Growing up for me wasn't a treat. You should see some of the playground equipment that our parents let us play on. There was a fighter jet, decommissioned fighter jet in our park. They let us play in that thing. Like who? Still, though, I, we went through the Tylenol scare. Anybody remember that? Uh, some of you are young enough not to remember that. There was a year where some dork decided to tamper with Tylenol and put poison in it. That's why we have plastic wrap around every pill bottle now, and, and those caps you can't open was that. We lost Halloween that year. Nobody got to go trick-or-treating because of that. But still, having said all of that, if you're a child or a teenager today, you've got it difficult, and we all know that. Like, not only do they have to worry about regular bullying, they have to worry about online bullying. We have to worry about school shootings. We have to worry about all the other things that, you know, just the regular teenage stuff to boot, you know, the health scares and everything else. I don't know if you've heard about this, and I'm not going to show you a picture. Anybody heard of Slender Man? A couple of years ago, a couple of young kids, I think they were 12-year-olds back in 2014, were, they attempted to murder a fellow classmate because Slender Man told them to do it. Uh, there's crazy things that people are enduring. There's another instance of cyberbullying. I am going to show you a picture of this. Um, this is actually, don't look at the screen if you don't want to be freaked out. This is a new thing that's coming along. It's been in other countries. This is Momo. And this is a social media phenomenon where if you see this on one of your kids' social media apps on their phone, you need to be very concerned. This infiltrated Minecraft last month. It's caused suicides in other countries. It's a challenge where just uh, these really horrible people get online and entice little middle schoolers and who, just to do horrible things that progresses to taking their own life. And so this is just a big deal. There's things that kids face today that if you're older, we just never had to deal with. And I think about all this stuff, and I think, and this is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. And beyond that, you just, if you're at all caring about the people in your life, beyond their health and their mental well-being, you just got to think about, well, how are they doing spiritually? And as a parent or as a person who's a grandparent or an influence in other people's life, am I setting them up to succeed? Am I expecting enough of them? Am I expecting too much of them? Am I making them too busy? Am I driving them crazy? You know, and as one of my friends said, as parents, we get to pick our, pick our kids' dysfunctions. It's kind of, you just think about all these things, and then most importantly of all, you think about, am I setting my child up to love God and to follow Jesus? There's so many things that we think about, and so this morning, what I want to talk about, these are just the main questions that we're going to wrestle with. Number one, how do I stop losing sleep over the people that I care about? The, the, the ones, and, and you might be thinking, well, I'm not a parent, I'm not a grandparent, I'm not an aunt and uncle, so I'm, I'm out. No, you're not, because uh, all of us have influence. For some reason, when I was in junior high, a little five, six-year-old kid latched onto me, and it made me really think about what I did, because, like, I'm setting an example. All of you, I don't care how old you are, you know, five, 10, 15 years old, there's somebody who's watching you, so you need to think about this. You know, not only how do I be a good parent, but just how do I be a great person who leads the people who are following after me? And even maybe more important than that, how do I pass my faith along to those who are coming along after me? Here at Connection, that is so important to us. We're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. That's why we exist. That's the mission Jesus gave every church. That's just how we say it here. So we really want to think about this, and it's not my job to pass faith on. It's all of our jobs. So let's think about this today. And where do we turn to for advice and guidance 
Because there's a lot of bad parenting and a lot of bad mentoring advice out there, isn't there? Like somebody said this, I think this was on Twitter, because everything on Twitter is pure and pristine, right? <laughs> he said, here's a great idea. You take a five-year-old kid and you tell them, if you lie, your teeth will start falling out. That's horrible advice. I thought that you guys, you look appalled and shocked. You should be. It's funny though, right? Because their teeth are going to fall out. So you must have been lying. Let's get some good advice here. Let's go to the scripture, which is what we do every week. We get to know the Bible. So if you want to take a Bible and you want to find the Gospel of Luke, if you uh, have the Bible app, and I highly recommend that, just download it to your smartphone. The Bible app is free, and you can just type in Luke, and it'll be there for you. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to see a guy who had parenting issues, and we're going to see what he did to resolve them. It's a great example. So this is Luke. We're going to start reading in verse 40. It says, On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they'd been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by crowds. I, I just feel for this guy, Jairus. I don't know if you noticed this or not. He was the leader of the local synagogue, which means he was a very powerful, very influential man. Nothing will bring a strong man to his knees quite like something wrong with your daughter. Something that's wrong with your son, and you can't fix it. And that's the situation Jairus finds himself in. He's doing whatever he can because his daughter is dying, and he just doesn't know what to do. He's heard about this Jesus who does miracles and is a great teacher, and he's thinking, maybe he can help me. This is not the first time people have done this. So many people come to God. So many people came to Jesus when they had trouble with their kids. I'll give you another example. This is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. One of the Gospels says, A Gentile woman who lived in that area came to Jesus pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. And then there's another example, Mark chapter 9, another gospel account of Jesus' life. Mark 9, 17 and 18 says, One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And you might be thinking, Come on, this sounds like epilepsy, not demonic possession. What's going on? You know, 2,000 years later, we know what this is. Except, look at verse 22. The dad said, the spirit often throws my son into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. That's a demon. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. So many people came to Jesus asking for help, asking for help with their kids. Let's get something foundational out there. If you've got a worship folder, you can write this down. These people are doing something and realizing something that we should realize. Just realize no one cares about your kid nearly as much as Jesus does. No one cares about our children. No one cares about the people we care about more than God does. No, no matter how much you care about them, God cares more. My wife, Kirsten, and I, um, this is a thing in our house. I'm trying to see if our daughters, you can ask them later. Uh, there's a thing that my wife and I will say to our kids when we're discussing something and they don't, our kids don't agree with us and we're like, we're the parents, you're just going to have to trust us on this, you're going to have to do this or not do that. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, no, I do understand. And then we say this thing, and maybe you've said this before, I'm going to have to say no because nobody loves you more than we do. You ever say that to your kids? I'm telling you, it works. And I'm not trying to, don't, 
we are never using it to be manipulative. It's absolutely the truth. We just know more than you do. We're older than you. We care more than anyone else does about you. And the fire goes out of the fight every time. Now our girls are on to us. They're going to like go, I'm not giving up so easy after that. But there's something that's true about that. We care about our kids, right? And I love you more than somebody else's you know, parents. Multiply that by a thousand. Multiply that by a million. That's how much God cares about the people you care about. That's how much God cares about you. He loves you more than anyone else does. He loves the ones you care about more than anyone else does. There's a great verse in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's in Psalm 139. Psalms are like the songbook of the Bible. This particular one was written by a man named King David of Israel. And he was a great songwriter as well as a good leader and a good king. And just listen to how David sings this song and describes the care God has for us. And like in verse 13 of this psalm, it says, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You go down to verse 16, and David said, God, you saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's how much God cares about us. And if God does care about us and our kids that much, let me just give you a piece of advice. If you want to trust your kids or anyone to God's care, you ought to be praying for them and praying for them daily. Write that down. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not real good at that praying thing. It's not really a habit in my life. I'm telling you, you can do this, and this is something you can start doing now. Uh, for a great way to do this would be, you're going to eat lunch today, right? Pray over the meal if you don't already do that. And I know you might feel like that, that's a little weird just to start praying, so you're at Wendy's or Taco Bell or you're at home. Throw me under the bus. I don't care. Just say, hey, we're going to pray before the meal. And, and you, okay, yeah, Brian said to do it. Let's do this. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. God, thank you for the food. Thank you for our family being together. Protect us. Thank you. Amen. There you go. Because I, I think we maybe have a tendency to overcomplicate prayer. It's, you don't have to learn a fancy set of words in the right order. It's not abracadabra. It is really a conversation between you and God about things that you both care about. You can do this. So pray for the people that you care about. You know, and if you are like maybe awake in the morning and you're not quite up yet, that's another good time to pray. And you, you think, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, you do, really. If you think about it, just pray that God would give you wisdom. Pray that God will help you be a good example. Pray that God will make you aware when you're getting ready to do something or say something that you shouldn't that would not necessarily be healthy or helpful. Uh, ask God to protect your children. Uh, ask God to give them wisdom to learn to be more mature and to handle things well that come their way. Look, nobody cares about your kid more than God does. So when you talk to God about the people you love, you're already on the same page. You're, it's good. You can do this. Nobody cares more than him. It's a book called uh, A Surgeon's Notes on Performance. It's by Dr. Atul Gawanda. And in this book, I love the story he tells. He's, he kind of makes himself look bad. He's in his third year of med school. And he was uh, at this hospital. A woman came in, older lady. And the technical term for what was wrong with her was she didn't feel good. <laughs> what do you do with that? So Dr. Gawanda said, I, I assessed everything. I talked to her. She had a little fever. She hadn't been sleeping really well. And diagnosed her with pneumonia. Put her on an antibiotic. Said, we're going to watch you overnight. We'll send you home tomorrow. Well, the next morning, things weren't any better. In fact, she said she'd had a horrible night. Her symptoms looked a little worse. And he's like, he looked at her and he thought, you know, it's going to be okay. But, you know, as a third-year med student, you have a senior resident who's supervising your work, just making sure you don't miss anything. And his senior resident looked at this woman and said something's not right. So he said to Dr. Gawanda, you need to keep an eye on her. 
To which Dr. Gawanda said, I thought, sure, I will. I'll get to it by lunchtime maybe. And he says, in that moment, my senior resident saw something in me that I didn't. He saw immaturity. He saw irresponsibility. So he thought, I'll keep an eye on her, which was a big deal. This senior resident has a job of his own. He has to teach and lecture all morning. He's got other things he has to do, other people to supervise. To go check on this woman who was like on the 14th floor meant that he had to leave the first floor, go up a slow elevator. He actually checked on this woman twice during that morning, the senior resident, not Dr. Gawanda. It saved her life. Both times when he checked on her, things were starting to go bad. Her blood pressure had skyrocketed, the fever went way up, things were going bad. He got her into ICU, they diagnosed her with a very fast-moving pneumonia, and they caught it because that senior resident knew more, cared more, and knew exactly what to do in that moment. God knows more, God cares more, and trust me, God has never seen a problem he doesn't have a solution for. You and I ought to trust him. And if we care about other people, we ought to be talking to them, talking to God about them. Here's something else I want to, I want just want you to just be clear about this. As good as you are, and I have a high regard for all of you, we're going to miss stuff. There's just going to be stuff that's just going to go right by us. And we're going to, in hindsight, wish we'd caught it. We'll miss stuff, but God never will. Let God be your safety net. Here's, here's another thing. If you want to create a spiritual foundation and set a great example in your home, invite Jesus into your home, which is what Jairus did. He invited Jesus to come to his house. The best thing that Jairus could have done was getting Jesus involved with his family. And half of that for us is just getting ourselves and our families here to church, right? I was reading something that Pastor Brian Jones wrote one time, and he was just saying, what is it that gets in the way of us being closer to God? He said, we really need to factor in that we have an enemy, Satan, who actively wants to thwart us moving closer to God. And so what Satan will try to do is he will try to get us and our children to keep from coming to environments like this so that we don't devote ourselves to worshiping together and singing songs together and sharing fellowship together. He wants to get between you and your children seeing opportunities to serve and finding the joy that comes from knowing that you did something that made the church better, that made the world better, that maybe going out on a missions trip or just doing something in our local community. And and Satan tries to get in between our kids and hearing life-giving lessons and Satan tries to get between us and um, the gatherings that maybe we have in our groups and homes and getting together at Starbucks and studying the Bible with a few people. Why does that happen? Does Satan literally have the power to adjust our schedule? Or is it that we allow other things to intersect and interfere with our making the right and best things the most important things? It's like what Aaron Jackson, our family minister, talked about up here last week. And if you were here for it, great message. If you weren't, go back and watch it on our website. And he had the tank, and he said, with the big rocks and the smaller rocks and the sand and the water, and if you don't put the big rocks, the most important things in first, you'll never get them into your schedule and into your life. It's really on us to make the the most important things the first things. And you guys, if you were looking for one, you get a gold star. You're here today. You're watching this message later. that's, That's great. This has just got to be a priority where we say Jesus comes first in our families because the best thing that can happen to my family is that my kids and, and the people I love and the people I mentor, they get to experience Jesus. So I'm challenging you, 
If you got any influence over your schedule at all, make this the priority. Make this the thing that you say, well, I can't do that because I've got this. My gathering with my connection family is just way too important to, to give that up. George Barna, you've probably heard of him, he's a researcher, he points out how important this stuff is by just by some statistics. Children learn right from wrong by the age of nine. That's set in stone. What you think is good and bad by nine, by the age of 14, your faith habits are fully developed. Where you, you know that it's really hard to change after that point. Here's the thing that I found most powerful. What a child believes at the age of 14 is probably the same thing they will believe the day they die. Got a clock that's ticking down on how easy it is to pass your faith along to someone else. This is important. So let's get a good start. You're off to a good start if you're here. Maybe you want to get your kids in, in this because you think this is great, and I love that. I want to just give the other side of this. So let's assume, and maybe if you're a parent or grandparent, if you've got a kid in the children's ministry, which is awesome, I love, maybe a student ministry, you are a student. So if you go to church every Sunday, what is that, like four, 500 hours? No, no, I'd be, I'm overestimating that. It'd be like, what, 50 hours a year, 52 hours a year? Maybe if you really go hardcore and you come early and make the coffee, you get 100 hours a year. Like, how does that compare when you're probably going to do 400 hours of math this year? And that's not even if you're doing the AP stupid math where you're just like banging your head against the wall every day. You know, that's, that's a lot of math that you're not even going to use because we have smartphones, right? I know some of the engineers in the room are like, don't say that, but it's true. <laughs> it is. And then you think about this. So school has more influence, at least in terms of time, than I'll ever have. And then you think about even that, the average kid's going to play like 700 hours of video games a year. Some of the kids in the room are like, shut up, shut up. He's going after Fortnite. I'm not, I'm not. Some of you are like 700, pff, that's like my Monday. That's, uh, that's not even possible. <laughs> but I want you parents, here's what I want you to get. As many hours as kids spend on social media, and I'm not decrying any of that, or spend time at church, which is great, parents have like 100 times more time with their kids you have a lot of time with your kids. Use that. So, and then just give you a couple of ideas that you can use as a parent because as much as our sponsors and our teachers want to share Jesus with your kids, you're like the front line. One of the things I love to do, and my girls will tell you this, we love to talk in the car. I love to just lob a question out there, shut up and listen. So here's something you can do, just like Brian was talking about, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, Brian was talking about demons. What do you think about that? Do you think it's real? And then you stop talking and you listen. You know, we're talking about this in your class. What did you think about that? What's your opinion of this? Do you think that God really meant it when he said this? The car is an amazing time to have these conversations, especially if you do more listening. Uh, sitting down to a meal together is a great time to talk. Uh, just reading some things together. You can talk about friend issues, you can talk about disappointments, great things going on, sad things that are happening, just so many things. Write a note for their lunch. And dads, if you think that's not a dad thing to do, it is. Just maybe your wife can remind you. But the kids just need all kinds of input from you because you're like the first line of defense. You've got to take the lead here, parents. Craig Groeschel, he's a pastor, you might have heard of him. He wrote, he's got a book called Weird he says our greatest priority as Christian parents is to gradually transfer our children's dependence away from us until it rests solely on God. 
I will say this, just a challenge to everyone in the room. I don't care if you're in middle school or if you're 60 years old. You cannot lead someone else where you're not currently going. You got to be doing this too. It's not just for somebody else. And you don't hit the finish line ever when you're a Christian. You are continually or should be continually growing and maturing right up to the moment that you step off this planet and into eternity. God's working with you, and he's got all kinds of things to do. And you can use that, if you're moving in the right direction, to bring other people along with you. Max Lucado, you probably heard of him, he said, someday I'm going to ask God, why have you been so good to me? And God's going to point to my wife and said, she just kept talking to me about you and the kids all the time. So Jesus you know, got the invitation from Jairus, I need you to come to my house. I need your help. My daughter's dying, uh, it was a, which is an awesome thing to do. And it looked like it wasn't going to go very well. Let's go ahead and finish this back in Luke chapter 8, down in verse 49. Uh, so Jesus was doing something while he was walking, and he says, a message, messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Just for a moment, think about what Jairus may have felt and the look that may have come across his face when he just heard the news that his 12-year-old daughter died. So verse 50, when Jesus heard what had happened, he saw Jairus' face. He said to Jairus, hey, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She'll be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, the little girl's father and mother. So six of them and all went in. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but Jesus said, stop the weeping. She's not dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at Jesus. They, they all knew she had died. Well, then Jesus took the child by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. And she immediately stood up, and then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. And her parents were overwhelmed, and Jesus insisted they not tell anyone what had happened. Man, this, this is powerful. Don't lose the fact here that a 12-year-old kid died, and Jesus brought her back to life. Max Lucado says this. He says, you know what? God hates death. He hates it so much he, he killed it. If you find this story difficult to listen to because you've lost someone you care about, you need to know this. God knows what it's like to bury a kid. He did that too. And he cares. The best thing you can do to get yourself and your family before him. And don't miss this either. A 12-year-old kid died, but it wasn't too late for her, and it wasn't too late for her family, and it's not too late for you either. And if there's somebody in your world that you care about and you think they're too far gone and there's no hope, hey, as long as they're on this planet, there is still hope. Don't ever give up on the people that you love. Maybe you've got a prodigal in your family. Don't give up on them. I've got lots of people in my world that I'm praying for. They're going to make it. I don't know how. I don't know when. I'm not going to give up praying for them. Don't you either. Hayden Shaw wrote a great book. It's called Generational IQ. He said he was giving a lecture, and a, a mom came up to him so concerned for her unbelieving son. So Hayden asked the mom, who loves your son more, you or Jesus? And she answered, I know the right answer is Jesus, but I don't feel like it. It doesn't feel like God's doing enough, or my son wouldn't be drifting away like this. And that's it right there in a nutshell, isn't it? That's the crux of it. How do you... How do you get out of that place of desperation when you know that God does love your kid, but God also is committed to their free will? 
and that God will never force anybody to do anything? You've experienced this in your own life. Have you not done stupid things in your life because God didn't stop you? Everybody has. Don't, don't look at me like, you're. oh, I'm, I'm clean and pristine and pure here. No. And that's the problem for all of us. Why doesn't God just do more to push them? Because he's not going to, but he's going to invite. And we need to understand this. David said it. Before we were ever born, God already knew us. He put us together. Come on. God cares more than we do. And he's doing everything he can to bring everyone back into his family. The Bible says God wants all people to, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He's, he's calling out to the people you love, and he's calling out to you. And if you're the one who's been running away and you've managed to get yourself to church today, welcome home. Now do something with that. Let me close out with some really good news, because this is awesome. Uh, this, is, this is amazing. 74% of parents who model their faith in their home pass their faith on to their children. That's amazing. Listen to this. Baby boomers, you might think, and maybe even the generation before the baby boomers, you might think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's not. It's exactly the same ratio as it was back in the 30s and the 40s and the 20s. It's people who live their faith out 24-7 pass their faith on. And here's the, another cool thing. Even when people walk away from faith, two-thirds or more of them come back to faith at some point later in their life. And that might be your story. And here's another amazing thing. Four out of 10 kids end up having the same faith as their grandparents, and it doesn't even matter what their parents did. God is actively calling to people, and maybe he's calling to you. And I don't want you to leave today without doing something with that. You don't have to lose faith, and you don't have to lose sleep over what's going to happen. You can trust God. It's all going to work out okay. Okay.